I would like you to take the word of God, please, and turn with me in the Old Testament to the book of 2 Kings, the 19th chapter. And in just a moment, we'll be in reading with verse 1, 2 Kings chapter 19. God has laid upon my heart messages to bring to you at this particular juncture in the life of our church and the life of our nation. We live in troubled times, but we don't need to be troubled people. God is the answer. He's always the answer and we have him and greater is he that's in us and he that's in the world. We have the privilege or misfortune, whichever way you look at it, <clears throat> to live in these perilous times when a constant news cycle is pumping into our minds the bad news, not only of what's happening locally, nationally, but worldwide. And so much of that is internalized until we begin to think we're in the midst of all of it. These are perilous times, no doubt about that. We're not foolish people, but we know that we have the Lord and he's taking care of us. We know that if his people, which are called by his name, will call on him, he'll come to their aid. We have that. And we should be hopeful people telling people the good news of Jesus Christ and his power to save. And that's what God has given us to do. When we have our Bibles open to the book of 2 Kings, in the 19th chapter, we're in the heart of a turmoil in the lives of God's people. We'll talk about some of the preliminary things in just a moment. But just begin with me, please, in the 19th chapter in verse 1. And it came to pass when King Hezekiah heard it that he rent his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, which was over the household, and Shebna, the scribe, and the elders of the priests covered with sackcloth to Isaiah the prophet, <clears throat> the son of Amos. And they said unto him, Thus saith Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble and of rebuke and of blasphemy. For the children are come to the birth and there is not strength to bring forth. It may be <clears throat> the Lord thy God will hear all the words of Rebshakan, whom the king of Assyria, his master, has sent to reproach the living God and will reprove the words which the Lord thy God hath heard. Wherefore, lift up thy prayer for the remnant that are left. So the servants of the king Hezekiah came to Isaiah. <clears throat> 
you're going to have the marking things in your Bible, I want you to mark distinctly, clearly what God has said in the third verse. This day is a day of trouble. This day is a day of trouble. I'd like you to say that aloud with me, would you please? This day is a day of trouble. You may not imagine that God can give you trouble, but he can. He can bring trouble to your life, to my life. He can bring trouble to our nation. He can bring trouble to our world. Trouble can be an instrument in the hand of God for God to use to bring it to him. So often he uses that. You can have personal trouble. There seems to be nothing quite like personal trouble when it comes to you. It can come in many forms, some physical illness or malady, something that is seemingly out of your control. You can have domestic trouble, trouble in your family, trouble with a mate, a life's mate or trouble with a child. It can be a young child or an adult child, but it's trouble. You can have trouble with physical things. And at times you may think you're the only person in the world going through it, even to the point of why did it happen to you? But it's understood as trouble. You can have trouble in your community, trouble in your town, trouble in your city, trouble in your country. Well, God's word states very plainly here that there's trouble. And when the first verse of the 19th chapter is read, it says, and it came to pass when King Hezekiah heard it, that arouses some interest. King Hezekiah king, we know him, we're introduced to him, and he's heard something, and it is so disturbing that he has rent his clothes, he's torn his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and he did the right thing. He went into the house of the Lord. Many people by the millions are leaving the house of the Lord. Many foolish people are turning from strong, fundamental, Bible-believing churches and heaping to themselves things that appeal to their itching ears. The Bible says in the last days this will happen. and We see it happening everywhere. There's something desperate, desperately wrong about running from God, running from God's house, running from God's people, and running from strong Bible preaching. You never give good advice telling people to do that. You run to the Lord, run to the Lord's house, run to the Lord's people, run to the word of God. Even when the message is rebuking, It will bring help and healing. It's what you need. There's safety in it. And the word of God says he went into the house of the Lord. He sent for messengers. 
And they came, leaders, the spiritual leaders, they came covered with sackcloth. They made their way to the prophet Isaiah. This prophet's not the king, Hezekiah is the king. But Isaiah has the message from God that they need to hear. And they say unto him, Thus saith Hezekiah, that's the king speaking, This day is a day of trouble and of rebuke and blasphemy, for the children are come to the birth as there's not strength to bring forth. In other words, there's something we know needs to happen in the work of God and we're too weak for it to happen. There's a birth that God wants to give and the child is apt to be dying in the birth canal. There's so much to be said about that, but that's not the intent of this message. They mention one thing, not only is there rebuke and trouble, but there's a blasphemy. Blasphemy. I want you to remember that. Because when you read the 18th, 19th, and 20th chapters, you're going to find this blasphemy that's coming forth from the mouths and hearts of idolatrous people who worship other gods. Do you ever stop and think about what blasphemy we hear, what's been said and what is being said, hands that are being raised and mouths that are being lifted against the true and living God? And there ought to be a remnant of God's people who know the Lord, who love the Lord, who know God's word and are troubled by it. Not just trouble about what these people are saying, but enough of the love of God and concern about the things of God to know that God is offended by what they're saying and doing. Well, that's the situation we find ourselves in here. You'll turn back with me for just a moment to the 18th chapter of the book of 2 Kings. The word of God says, Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, son of Eli, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. So we're introduced to the reign of King Hezekiah. The Bible says 20 and five years old was he when he began to reign. And he reigned 20 and nine years in Jerusalem. Now Jerusalem is the capital of the southern kingdom. So here you have the reign of the king beginning his age when he began and how many years he reigned. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. The Bible says in verse three, and he did that which was right in the sight of God according to all that David his father did. That's the commentary, brief as it may be, on the reign of Hezekiah to this point in time. I wish we could say that about all leaders, all of our elected officials, all of those who fill responsible positions, that they did that was right 
As a matter of fact, we cannot say about our present leaders, national leaders, many of them, we cannot say that. The Bible goes on to say in verse 4, and he removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made for unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it. And he, that's the king, called it Nehushtan. I want you to internalize that. This king was a man of action and godly action. He made a declaration. It was a difficult declaration to make. The people had turned to heathen worship and idols. They had built high places to do their worship. And he sought out those high places and the images that were in them and broke them, tore down the images, cut down the groves. And he broke in pieces the brazen serpent. Now, if you know a little bit about the Bible, you know that the brazen serpent was something Moses raised in his day when the people had turned to idolatry and the people were being bitten by poisonous serpents. And Moses raised this brazen serpent that they'd look to the Lamb of God, they'd look to the Lord, they'd look away from gods they shouldn't be worshiping and the fear they should not have had. And this symbol, this symbol of a brazen serpent was raised centuries before the incident took place and the people were delivered who looked to it. Evidently for centuries, not just for a few years, but for centuries, they kept this brazen serpent and made an idol of it. You find that same kind of thing happening in people's lives. They treasure something that once did them good or once delivered them in some way and they transfer their allegiance from God who transferred them, who delivered them and helped them in every way, but they transfer their allegiance from that to that idol or to that thing that once was just a representation of God to them. So the story rehearsed just briefly was the children of Israel were traveling and they looked from the Lord and the brazen serpents were sent on them. People were dying. These fiery serpents real serpents and suddenly there was a brazen serpent unable to harm them but a symbol of looking to God looking away from the evil they were suffering from as a matter of fact even in medicine today you'll see the brazen serpent as a symbol of that medicine but when Hezekiah came to the throne to be king, now you think about what a courageous man he was to do this. The people had filled the land with idolatry. 
They had turned from the true and living God. They had places built to worship this serpent which was still being held in high esteem to them. And lo and behold, King Hezekiah decided he'd tear down the places of worship that were turning people from God to idolatry and heathen worship. And he went so far as to take the brazen serpent that all the people knew was in their historical heritage the thing that God used to deliver them. They had transferred what they had for God to that serpent. And he had the courage to take the serpent and break it in pieces, to destroy it. And not only to do that, but to declare that the name of that serpent was N-E-H-U-S-H. T-A-N, Nehushtan, which means, as far as we know, it means nothing, nothing. This serpent is nothing. This idolatry, this piece of junk that you're worshiping has no power. It's nothing. And he had the courage to break it in pieces. Now, I just want to give you this little side thought. When somebody begins to preach like that, somebody begins to tear your idols away, someone has the courage God gives them to speak the truth in love, they stir up the devil. And if you're not stirring up the devil, evidently, you're not doing the Lord's work. And that was the beginning of the issue. That's the way God introduces it in this 18th chapter. Now, on the prowl, in addition to that, is the Assyrian Empire. Violent, ruthless people marching through the land, taking everything they want, destroying the northern kingdom already and taking the captives and dispersing them throughout the land of Assyria. Their leader, a man by the name of Sennacherib, has said, all right, since we've marched this far and done this much and since we have this hold on the people, the next thing we're going to do is take the other kingdom, Israel. And we're going to not just wage war on them. We're going to destroy them like we've destroyed the northern kingdom. And God put a man and a prophet between that happening. And by the way, God always uses a man or a woman, a person, to put in the path of the approaching devil. Somebody will do the Lord's work, the Lord's way, speak the truth in love, they'll take a stand. And the man or woman who takes that stand 
will have to go through his own peril or her own peril because there is an evil in the world headed by the devil opposing the work of God wherever God's work is going on. And not just intelligent people, but discerning people have to see that the battle is the Lord's. And you're either on the Lord's side, taking the stand with the Lord and the Lord's people, or you're on the devil's side. And that's what we jump in the middle of here. And so, sure enough, every bad thing you could imagine is happening to the people. And it seems like the people who are against God and against God's people are having anything they want. And so the news comes to Hezekiah, the king. And when it comes to him, when we get to the 19th chapter, we've heard the words of Reb Shakin, who's the spokesperson for the Assyrian, and all the blasphemous things they're going to do. We'll read just a bit of it, the closing part of the 18th chapter. And the Bible says, who are they, verse 35, among all the gods of the countries? They have delivered their country out of mine hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand. They've talked about all the things they've done to other gods. Now, who are these Israelites? Who are these people who stand true to God? Who are the people that we must consume because they're in our way? I want you to know when you take a stand for the Lord, when you stand against evil and ungodly, you're making yourself a target for Satan and his work. You could do it in your home and say, children, we're not going to do that. God's not pleased with it. And most time, most parents have a great temptation to cave in when the temptations come and say, well, everybody else is, and so we might as well surrender to when you dare to stand for the Lord, when you dare to do the right thing, you're making yourself a target for Satan and his work. And there's one victory in that. It's not arguing. It's not persuasion. No, no. It's calling on God in prayer and asking God to give you the deliverance. Your battle will be fought on your knees. Amen. And that's the only way it's going to win because God's not even going to let you appear to be greater than the devil. But he'll get glory for himself when you acknowledge that he's the only one who's greater than the world and the flesh and the devil. So they're concluding. When they start concluding, you'll find this in many situations. This is time of trouble. We're in big trouble. Ever found yourself in big trouble? Most of you run from it. Most of you dodge it. 
You don't understand that God allowed it to come to you to make you stronger and to prove that he will deliver you. So they came to the conclusion you'd come to. You got trouble, big trouble. Again, chapter 19, verse 1. It came to pass when King Hezekiah, the good king who tore down the high places, who took a stand against what was wrong and unrighteousness, who went so far as to say, bring me that golden serpent that the people of God have used as an instrument of worship for centuries. And he broke it in pieces. He says, you don't need this. You need the true and living God. What a man of courage. And so the devil didn't like it. Do you hope to be able to live your life in a way that the devil likes it or doesn't like it? I'm talking to some of you kids right now who played into his hands. You know you've played into his hands. And so, they've covered themselves with sackcloth, calling on God. Look here, please. They run to the house of God. They want to be where God's going to do his work. That's what verse one says. And they sent for Eliakim, which was over the household, and Shebna, the scribe, and the elders of the priests covered with sackcloth to Isaiah, the prophet. And they said unto him, Thus saith Hezekiah. The king said, This day is a day of trouble. I want you to get this. And of rebuke. And of blasphemy. Why? For the children are come to the birth. In other words, moving forward to what God wants done. He uses the illustration of the birth canal. The children are come to the birth, coming through the birth canal. And there is not strength to bring forth. What God wants to happen can't happen unless he strengthens us. Now I want you to sit up and listen just a minute. I've been the pastor of this church a long time. And I'm not asking for trouble. But I want to tell you something. In order for God to make this church strong, this church has to deal with trouble. And nobody wants it. Nobody wants it. So when you get to thinking, I want to avoid this, run from it, not deal with it. You're thinking the wrong way. How, how does God use trouble to make us strong? Trouble purifies us. It makes us think about our motives and what we're doing. Are we doing the right thing? Are we going the right way? Have we made the right decision? It doesn't necessarily mean that it's wrong. 
but at least you're thinking about it. You have to think about it. Probably everybody of any age listening to the sound of my voice knows an example of when you've had to deal with something that was used of God to prove you. Whether the Lord was right, will you stay with him? Will you stay with what you know is right? Will you follow after the word of God? Or are you tempted to cave in what Satan wanted? Trouble purifies. Trouble identifies. It identifies people. You find people coming down the wrong side of trouble. You find out what they really are. And you wish you didn't have it to deal with. But God uses trouble as an instrument. He uses it sometimes to straighten up a marriage, to straighten up a home, straighten up a family, to get your priorities right. Trouble identifies. Trouble clarifies. And he said, this is a day of trouble and rebuke, of blasphemy, for the children are come to the birth and there's not strength to bring forth. In other words, without the trouble, you're never going to be strong enough to win the battle. Now, I wish I could speak collectively to all of you for a moment and then individually to each of you. We live in a world filled with trouble. As a matter of fact, Things nationally seem to be blowing up. Things that we wish we never knew are revealed to us about national things and international things that are not what they ought to be. What does it do? What does it do? It brings us to God. It brings us to the point where we know the only answer we have is the Lord. It may be, verse 4, the Lord thy God will hear all the works, all the words of Rebshakan. That's the enemy spouting his mouth. Whom the king of Assyria, that's his boss, his master, has sent to reproach the living God. When you finally get your place where it ought to be and you say, they're not fighting against us. They're fighting against God. The reproach being brought is to the Lord's people, the Lord's work. You ask yourself, are we doing the right thing? Are we following the right one? And there ought to be some measurements that we can use. The Bible says, God will work. They're reproaching the living God and will reprove the words which the Lord thy God heard. God's listening to every word they say. And the Lord will reprove it. Which the Lord thy God hath heard. Wherefore, 
lift up thy prayer. Here's our shame. This is our shame. We estimate ourselves as the good Christians. We estimate ourselves as the good church, the right thing. But we talk our fool mouths off about everything that's wrong instead of getting on our knees and crying out to God to break through and do what only he can do. It's a call to prayer. And it's a call to prayer for the remnant. Look at it, please. They sent the reproach of the living God and will reprove the words which the Lord thy God hath heard. Wherefore, lift up thy prayer for the remnant that lift. Not everybody wants the fight. Not everybody will run to the battle. Not everybody will pray. God expects his remnant people to cry out to him. And what we're going to see is God works supernaturally through his people to do what God Almighty can do and no one else can do. So we don't need to be talking all the time so foolishly about what's wrong, whining about who's not doing what. I'm, I'm politically involved, I'm socially involved. I'm involved in our community. The people who sit in positions of power are my friends, but I'm not looking to them. I'm looking to the Lord and to know that God will break through for his people. Just like God broke through for his ancient people, which I'll give to you again in another message, supernaturally the Lord worked. But he didn't work until the people got pressed to desperation. And there was nothing or no one to cry out to. Nothing or no one to cry out to except the Lord. Have, have you ever gotten there? It may be a rough journey getting there. But you'll be shouting hallelujah when you do because it brings you face to face with the true and living God.